Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This week in photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D R O B O dot com slash twip. This week on the show, shooting presidential in Scario, pro photo fashion, and the biggest scam in photography. Right here on This Week in Photography, number 66. And hello, hello. We're back with another edition of This Week in Photography. We've got some of the normal crew here. Uh, who do we have here in the studio? We've got Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. Hello. <laughs> that really is Alex Lindsay. It's not <laughs> some Star Wars character. <laughs> Trust me, it is really Alex in the studio here. Uh, and uh, from afar, in different places around the, the, the globe, we've got uh, Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing? Where are you, you, you dialing in from? I'm in Seattle today. Seattle. Is it cloudy? It's uh, foggy, overcast. The clouds have moved down to the level of the uh, skyscrapers. So we must have we must have swapped weather because the uh, the weather in San Francisco is very Seattle-like. Yes, it's very depressing. Mm. Feeling a little <laughs> Nirvana-ish today. <laughs> I thought you smelled a little like Teen Spirit. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> I just had a flash of a naked baby in a pool in my head. <laughs> Great, <laughs> thanks for that, Alex. <laughs> And we've got uh, Mr. Steve Simon in the hey house. Hey, guys. Yes, uh, from New York, where it's actually warmed up today, but it's going to get cold again. So, you know, I I should, really should be outside, but there's no place, of course, as you know, I'd rather be than with you guys. But, it, but in New York, when you say it's warmed up, that's relative, right? Uh, so yeah, you, it's 40. <laughs> it's up to 40. It's like, it's not negative today. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's so true, especially lately. Ouch! Uh, yeah, we, yeah. I heard uh, you and Aaron, by the way, who's also on the line. Hey, Aaron. Hey there. And where where are you at? I'm in Sweetbriar, Virginia. So we're Virginia. our weather's mirroring his a little bit up north. We're 55 today, but uh, freezing yeah. again by Sunday. Talk about freezing. Aaron and I were, you know, and two million of our closest friends were at the inaugural in D.C. on the 20th. And uh, as cold as it was, I think Aaron would echo that it was a pretty cool place to to hang out for that day it was absolutely fantastic did you guys actually see each other oh yeah yeah of course of course actually, you, you were you know, smashed we, together we we had not met um you know before this you know i i guess i've i've been able to meet everybody else but aaron was the last person uh, for me to meet and it was great to meet him see him in person he sounds just like he does on on air he's got <laughs> that same voice don't know if that's good or not but hey <laughs> you have a very <laughs> skype filtered voice is that what you're saying <laughs> I sound like I'm talking through Skype. <laughs> yeah, does he occasionally break up? And uh, I find okay, that sometimes, sometimes he, sometimes he come, he stops talking and then he t- starts talking really, really fast as he catches. Or he'll just that, stop that talking was, and walk away. That, that was not the compliment I meant to, to, to about guys. But uh, no, it was it was great to, to meet him. It was great to be there. And as much as you know, we froze our butts off on that day. Uh, in the end, it was it was it was great. I know Aaron was was happy with some of the stuff he got and. Even though I didn't have a clear view of the actual ceremony, I was still able to, you know, get some shots that I thought were good. So, so on the yeah. inauguration, just overall, you know, I want to we want to talk about that's in our, our sort of thing to talk about today. I wanted to sort of hit on what 
you know, I saw, I saw the photos, you know, from the, the space photo and, you know, from every angle imaginable on, you know, the news networks. But what was it like being a photographer in that? Were you like sort of shoulder to shoulder trying to get the same shot that everybody else is getting? Or did you have access to move around or what was it like? You want to take your you want to take it first, Steve. I think we well, probably have two very different stories to some extent. Well, sure. I mean, I I initially uh, had press accreditation, but at last minute, actually on the plane on the train on the way over, I found out that I didn't. Instead, I had just a, a ticket to get into the yellow section, Ooh. which was good news and bad news. The good news was I was literally about 175 yards from uh, Mr. Obama being sworn in. The bad news was. Um, I couldn't really tell that was the case because I was completely blocked out. So you're right. It is a squished situation. There's not a lot of of room to move. But because I couldn't see him, um, I had to focus on something else. And and so what I did was I turned my cameras on. I turned my camera on the the people that were around me. And and they were so absorbed. And you can see in their faces, you know, the reverence and, and, and just the being in the moment and just... Just really, uh, you you felt that this was kind of a historic uh, time in in our history, and that was reflected in the faces. So I I, I had done this before, uh, you know, and I I was able to just kind of concentrate on 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 the fellow people around me. And I think you know I've I've come away with maybe something a little bit different in terms of the series than what everybody else was. There's no there's no point in trying to compete with guys in the greatest positions with the best lenses for that, and and of course the select few that have all access uh, to to the people behind you're not going to get anything like that so you have to try and find out you know something that you can get and and anything you shot and Aaron would probably echo this on that day in that place would um, would resonate because of you know the day and Aaron how was your how was your experience was it was it a similar sort of unblocked in so I need to adjust what I'm going for kind of situation Actually, my situation changed for the better um, as the day went on, uh, much to my surprise. I mean, but when I got my tickets, um, my location was not particularly ideal. Um, and, and let me add to that, though, however, that I was honored to be given a ticket, you know, to begin with and to actually be in the ticket area because, uh, you know, the mall is, you know, a mile and a half long. So uh, just being able to participate in that area at all, photography or no, was, was quite an honor. Um, and I don't know if those of you that may have been following the news, there's uh, been a lot of discussion about people, particularly that had the blue and purple tickets, uh, who were horribly, horribly mishandled and cheated, kind of, in, the, in this whole process. Um, the security process bogged down to such an extent that literally, we're, we're suspecting well over 10,000 people who had pretty ideal tickets uh, were penned into security pens for the entire time and not able to hear anything, see anything. I mean, there was near riots in a few areas um, around the perimeter, you know, as a result of the situation. Um, and my experience, I was actually ticketed in an area behind that, which, uh, unlike what the map said, actually extended much closer into the lawn than anybody suspected. And I think a lot of my fellow ticket holders didn't even realize that because I just, as a matter of course, started wandering as far as I could forward to, to see what I could reach. And to my shock, ended up right on the back of the lawn, uh, you know, right to the area where the, the people with blue and purple tickets that got locked out were supposed to be. So um, so I ended up actually in a very good position. And with a 400-millimeter lens, was able to get, you know, some okay and pretty decent shots of the ceremony itself. But as Steve was saying, too, unless you've got all access, um, you're not going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to see, you know, get the kind of shots that the press photographers and, and all have. So, again, my focus in a lot of cases, too, was the environment around me and the people and the emotion and the reaction. I think some of my best shots are there. 
I have others that, you know, kind of prove I was there and that capture the moment of the ceremony itself, but uh, it's nothing that's going to really be framed to put on the wall. But I will say, this is one part I got to I gotta mention here, and you can see from the satellite photos, in the process of getting into my area, I was on my feet for about five hours from the morning to the time that I was actually into the ticketed area, and I spent at least two of that in the most uncomfortable, <laughs> jammed, just body-to-body with strangers. I mean, we're talking a situation where if that group got upset and started to move the wrong way, you're going to get crushed. Um, I literally could not lift my arms for about two hours in that time because I was so pinned together uh, with with other people in the group. And what, what lens were you using when you were pinned in there? You had a pretty long lens. How did you protect that? <laughs> I was actually, well, we also were not allowed to carry camera bags of any significant size. So I had two camera bodies and two lenses hanging on my shoulders. And the bag that did qualify to go in was one of the Canon lens bags that would hold you know, the third lens. So I had a 24 to 70 uh, 70 to 200 and 100 to 400 with me. And while I was walking around, I went ahead and left uh, the 70 to 200 and the 100 to 400 on the camera and the 24 to 70 in the bag, which I hung around my neck on my chest so that I would have that bag so I could swap one lens for the other for the two bodies and have all three with me. And uh, so that's what I was carrying. So you can imagine, you know, a 100 to 400 and a 70 to 200 are not small lenses. So I was basically either hanging them on my sides or holding them up against my chest pointed up in the air while I had my shoulders crushed tight against my body. So I stood pretty much, you know, with my cameras just about bonding into my skin, you know, for about an hour and a half or two hours just mashed up against other people. And toward the end of that scenario, because the police weren't telling us anything, nobody was giving us any information, and we were within like 45 minutes of the ceremony with no no real sense that we were going to make it the rest of the way security at that point, the group started to snarl. I mean, it was getting kind of ugly in there, and I, I could I could see how riots and stampedes begin. Mm, <laughs> yeah, the crowd mentality. Yeah, I've yeah. got a photo. I'll, I'll, we'll post some links. But one of those satellite photos, I've actually cropped out the section that shows the pen I was standing in, and the time on it is the time when I was there. So I'm one of those little tiny dots. You know, that's just in that mass of people. I'm just going to tell people I was there and point to a dot. Yeah, that, that, that was me. That was my head. Prove it wasn't me. You know, but as you said, Fred, arguably this was probably the most photographed event, you know, in American history. Just the sheer volumes of people. Everybody had a camera. You saw a lot of cell phone pictures happening, but you also saw a lot uh, saw a lot of uh, small digital digital cameras being aimed. I don't know if you noticed, uh, I wasn't at any of the, the balls, but when when the first couple danced, all you saw were arms up in the air and cameras or camera phones. I saw that. Pictures. I saw that on CNN. It was you know, and you just realized the ubiquity of photography at that point, where yeah. every everybody was taking a photo. Everything's always covered, even planes well, think, and, going and into the yeah, Hudson. That's where it's right? gonna, yeah, it's going to get really interesting because uh, I mean, you know, one of the news stories we want to talk about is the thing that uh, Photosynth did yeah. with uh, you know basically building this sort of virtual world that. You know, takes all of these different photos that were taken from multiple angles of the inauguration and allowing you to kind of swim around inside of that. And I mean, it's you know, you think about a scenario like this, and you effectively have enough coverage to almost do, you know, the Matrix-like bullet time sort yeah. of an effect, where you know, you you can, I mean, the information is there, and it's only going to be a matter of a few more years before you can really build out a true sort of 3D model of that entire environment. And, well, what's and crazy really is, the, is the models there. You know, yeah. the, when when Photosynth builds the builds the environment that you're walking through, and 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 the Photosynth technology is just amazing. You know, it's just yeah. really something to to check out. And one of the things to notice, by the way, for Mac users, is that the Silverlight now is supporting, 
uh, photosynth. So you can you don't need to have a PC to go and look at photosynths. Yeah. Now you don't see everything. For instance, when you see a photosynth on a PC load up, you'll see all the little dots. It's because it's, it has to figure out where these these uh, uh, images are in 3D space. And so there's all these reference dots that it builds. It turns out if there's enough parallax between a lot of the cameras, you end up with a very accurate 3D model. Um, so let, let's back up a little bit because you know, I think we may have skipped over what photosynth is just from a, just a high level. Because it's sure. not QuickTime VR. It's not building a panorama. It's some something in what, between. What right? photosynth is really designed to do is is you can take photos from – you can have different people with different cameras in different places in around a location take lots and lots of different photos and it will figure out automatically it'll look at it'll it'll analyze all these images and it'll figure out how they relate to each other and and so what you end up with is this tourable uh, solution where you see the photo that's that's there, but if someone took a closer photo, well, it's already matched that closer photo to them, or another angle, or you can go around the corner. If if, if there's enough photos that are all overlapping, it can figure out where all of these were, so you could walk around an an event like this. You could, for instance, have uh, a photosynth tour of Union Square, or uh, you know, or or anything that you that you'd want where there's enough photos. You could do it by yourself, or mm-hmm. you could have People just uploading stuff, and it will churn through it and figure it but out. But how does it know that? Because, you know, looking at a technology like, you know, what's in Photoshop with stitching panoramas, and you overlap the panorama so it knows these points need to match up with those points, and it does the math to get everything lined up. With a technology yeah. like Photosynth, if I'm taking a photo of, you know, if I'm, if I'm using Aaron's lens zoomed to 400, and I'm getting a shot that's relatively tight on something, and the guy next to me is shooting a wide how does Photosynth know that Aaron's shot is just a piece of my overall shot? You know, how does it it's, know all that? Yeah, stuff? it's 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 still pattern matching. It's 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 really just. I mean, it's it's. There's no way this would have been possible without incredibly powerful computers behind it. Because literally, what it does is do this sort of trial and error thing where it tries to match up. You know, how does this? chunk of this picture aligned with some chunk of another picture yep. and it just does this exhaustively across multiple photos i mean it's really kind of mind-blowing i can't imagine how much processing power they had to throw at building this photosynth image because just literally going through for every photo and doing a comparison with a, you know the photos that are in, in in the same thing they're considering and figuring out how do they line up and then from that it starts to make build this 3d database of okay if these two line up this way, but they're slightly offset by this amount, that must indicate that the cameras were offset by this amount. So mm-hmm. we're going to figure out where this is in 3D space. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, w- it- I wonder if Microsoft used Max to do that. Really <laughs> 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 crunching. Yeah, we, yeah. We, um, you know, what we ought to do is we ought to get. Uh, we've had him on before, but we ought to get uh, Bill Crow to, you know, uh, be on the show. Absolutely. You know, as a yeah. guest. So yeah, I'll see, we'll see. He runs the team, right? Yeah, he runs. He, yeah. He, he's, he's, yeah. And so um, we should get him to describe it to us yeah. about how yeah, all this is. I'm sure there was, you know, a, a, a lot of computers spending a lot of time to put this thing together over the course of a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Steve, you you travel a fair amount. Would you find yourself ever using a technology like this in a real-world situation for a client? Well, I, I haven't to this point, but I have to say, um, and I know we'll talk about it later, but in, in seeing what David Bergman did in creating um, the image that he did uh, for the inaugural, um, it's it's certainly something that, uh, you know, I, I think that in the future I would, I would love to uh, become more involved in, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's different than what David Bergman did, right? I mean, he created a 1.4 gigapixel photo of the inauguration that you can zoom in and see, you know. 
I don't know, scars on people and then zoom out and see a giant crowd, right? This is different yeah, from yeah. photosynthesis. No, no. Of- and I, I guess by that, just to qualify it, I mean, just all these sort of emerging cool uh, technologies that are, are on the horizon. I mean, they're definitely things that uh, if you can apply it to the right situation, um, they certainly would have a, a, a wonderful both, um, you know, sort of artistic as well as commercial um, uh, use. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a good point to talk about you know the difference between the you know building a large panorama which is taken from a single place, ideally taken from a camera that's rotating around a single you know the nodal point, versus the photosynth thing, which you you couldn't do as a single photographer because the whole point of it is you get coverage from as many different angles as possible to make the information about well, the 3D environment uh, accurate. One of the things that I'm kind of interested in though is what what photosynth would do is if I took a gigapan for instance and shot from Ten different locations around Union Square. Mm-hmm. Like, what? What would the, you know if if we gave it that much data, uh, and and you know these huge images of from different parallel you know areas. You know what kind of tourable information we get from that. Was the Photosynth software free? Is that the? You can use it for free. It's it's an it's an online service. So, so you, you can, can use it. Just throw your pictures in there, and it'll crunch on the back end and give you. Yeah, I mean, you, you get that. I think this it might be might for, be a challenge from a micro. Out, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've been thinking, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about related to photosynth is that, you know, we do these photo walking tours. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that might be interesting is just canvassing a location. You know, get up 10, 10 photographers to show up at one location and just take, ton, like, take everyone take 100 photos. And you have 1,000 photos of that area uh, of whatever they thought was interesting along with wider shots. You have, like, two or three people that say, just take all the wide shots that are going to create the context, you know, where everything can be attached. Yeah. And never let everyone else just do, you know, close-ups and weird stuff and everything else. You know, be I, kinda, that'd be really fun. I would be really interested to know if the uh, the TWIP army out there will be interested in doing something like that. Because we should – should Where should, where should they email us if they're interested? They should email us at twippodcast at gmail.com. That's T-W-I-P – podcast at gmail.com let us know i'd be interested in sort of leading one of those yeah if people in the you know the local area around san francisco bay area would be interested in joining it send us a note let us know if you're uh, interested and we'll pull and this is definitely something also if people were interested in doing it anywhere and you know it's just a matter of gathering people together yeah um to do it say challenge our listeners around the country to put their own groups together on you know on behalf of twip and and i think we might be looking at the beginning of uh twip photo walking Project. Hmm. Interesting. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, What's next up? Uh, Nikon. So Nikon finally released some firmware for the uh, for the D3 and the D700. The D3 is up to uh, firmware version 2.01. Did you did you upgrade? I I just saw this yesterday. I have not upgraded. uh, Slacker. Slacker. I'm I'm just gonna wait for Steve to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you first, Fred. You first. But actually, you know, I, I haven't done it either. I haven't had any uh, uh, an opportunity. But from what I've read from various people that have, people have been kind of pleasantly surprised uh, at uh, the autofocus responsiveness because they say that it's improved. But I think it uh, is improved, according to some of the people, uh, you know, a lot a lot uh, greater than than people were expecting. So that's kind of cool. Now, Steve, are you shooting with a D3 and a D700 or, or just the D3? Just the D3s, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you say D3s or D3? Well, D, D3s. I have a, a backup body that I don't own, but uh, uh, D3. I got gotcha. you. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. You're still happy with it? You're not moving over uh, to the 5D anytime soon? I want a D3X. I want the X. X Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> I need more megapixels. <laughs> <laughs> Must have more. Oh <laughs> but, man, you're in the you're, you're you're caught in that trap. 
I am. I am. <laughs> well, again, I keep justifying it by I have this specific project that I want, you know, to make big prints. But you know what? I mean, uh, just the, you know, I, I like the resolution. It's hard to say no to the megapixels. I'll get bigger Drobos and bigger, stronger, faster computers. I just want. Uh, I, li- I like the resolution. Hey, I, I think hey, you know. I was going to ask. Speaking of more resolution and bigger cameras and being able to afford them, uh, Aaron. Aaron, I know you rented a bunch of lenses from uh, what was it? Lensrentals.com. Lensrentals.com. Yeah. Yep. Did, could you can you rent bodies from them as well, or is it just the lenses? Oh, absolutely. They've got uh, they got bodies. They've got uh, lenses. They've got various accessories. I think they're. I have to check. There may be some studio equipment as well. Wow. Um, but yeah, and, the, and so going from beginning to end, so you know that's it's a good. You're you're the test case. So you you're the guy that didn't have all the gear that you needed to shoot a very important event, and you right. you found these guys. You ordered the lenses. You got them. You shot them. You shot the, the event, and now the lenses are gone again. How did that whole process go for you? It, you it's the transaction I've done before. Oh, sorry, Steve. Did you miss them? The lenses? Uh, I missed them painfully. Well, one of them in particular. <laughs> The uh, seventy to two hundred, I, I plan to purchase one just like it. I mean, there's I've, that's been on my purchase list for a long time, and I just the inauguration made me want to have one even sooner. So I just went ahead and rented it. The one hundred to four hundred was great, but it, that for my type of shooting, that's a lens that would sit on the shelf most of the time, to be honest with you. So yeah, uh, it yeah. was it was ideal for the inauguration and came in very very handy. <laughs> no, the asterisk the asterisk Fred for rentals is in my experience when I've looked around, you know, renting the lenses is really uh, a good deal. But the mm-hmm. bodies themselves are very expensive to rent relative to the price of, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. I guess they're, they're that, damaged. That could be the case, definitely. I, I think I think I recall the price on like a 5D Mark II is like 200 and some dollars a week right now. Mm-hmm. Um, week? It's That's a really over, good. Yeah, a little over 400 I think, um, if you go up to like a 1DS Mark III. Yeah. Um, that yeah, type the, of thing. The thing that, that uh, yeah, and I definitely want to play around with a D3X to see how it goes, but... You know, the one thing that's that sort of holds me back from that is like with the D3 that I have in the D700, I have them really dialed in and customized, you know, because the, these two bodies are more so than any body that I've owned before. They let you do all this crazy stuff like, you know, basically customize the camera to only work in your hands correctly. <laughs> and yeah. both of mine, if you, Steve, if you were to pick up my D3 and start shooting with, you wouldn't know where anything is because I've switched everything around and it, and it fits me. So, yeah. you know, just if you rented one, I'm wondering... You know, it, it, would I be able to get it up to speed that quickly in time to shoot and be productive? Yeah, well, Fred, I mean, you if you've freticized your D3, you should really mark down everything that you've done to there's, it. There's there's fantasizing, and then there's freticizing. <laughs> we, we, in, in 2009, we actually call that Frederick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if your D3 is Frederick, and you want to Frederick another another camera, that I sounds obscene. Really, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I think, no. I think I think I think we should stick with Fredicizing. Well, He's just Fredicizing about another camera, isn't he? <laughs> to answer your original question, the 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 whole transaction was was flawless. I've used them before for other events um, that I've shot, but uh, the inauguration was on a bigger scale for me. So, I mean, stuff came actually a day or two ahead of schedule, and you're not charged for that early arrival. Um, everything is in beautiful condition. I mean, they look brand new when I got them. Um, came with great, you know, camera bags with them or great lens bags with them. Used them for the event. Drove back from D.C. the next day and um, 
put them in the box that, that they came with, with the prepaid air bill on it. I hit FedEx online on their website and, you know, scheduled a pickup. FedEx grabbed it before the end of the day. And not five minutes before we started recording the show, I got an automatic email from Lens Rentals confirming the, the receipt of the lenses. And, you know, thanks to your business and have a nice day. So, uh, cool. and I will definitely be back. No question about it. All right. Look at that. The long tail for uh, people who want to get their feet wet with new lenses. Love it. I may have to jump in there and do that. I want to, you know, when I when I get into the Scott Bourne sort of area of being able to get anything I want, I think that I could just leverage lens rentals to, <laughs> be, to be like Scott for a week at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there's definitely lenses that, that I own that I have you know i don't use it every day mm-hmm. you know i could really i my my sigma i love my my eight millimeter you know my my fisheye yeah but it's not like i go shooting with it all you know every sure. yeah yeah you yeah know, just sit in the bag it's, depreciating right? yeah exactly own the ones you need and rent the ones you need for special events mm-hmm. yeah so uh firmware the another update came out and that's the uh the eos 40 40d they're up to version 1.1.1 does anybody own a 40d yeah Maybe. that's what i've got yeah, so did you, uh, did have, you update it yet? Uh, yeah, I have not. I have not uh, downloaded it yet. I looked at the, uh, you know, it's like you look at the the things that it supposedly fixes, and you're like, well, I've never had that problem, and it's not something I'm necessarily going to do mm-hmm. anytime soon. So I'll just remember it's there because, you know, number one, I'm I'm always a little skeptical that something could go wrong, but more importantly, it's sort of like, well, you know, by the time I get around to needing one of those functions, they may have one point one point one point two out or something. So yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. If I'm, it ain't, if it ain't not, broke, don't don't. Yeah, patch it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, but you know, yeah. There's always things. It's like if if your camera is behaving wrong and doing something weird. Like I have a couple issues with you know a, a point and shoot that I own, and I'm waiting on a firmware update to fix it. So as soon as that thing pops out, you can bet the minute that it's on the site, I'm gonna I'm gonna download and update it. But you know, my SLRs are have been humming along perfectly. I've been waiting for the D700 to have a firmware uh, fix for video for video. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's broken. It's broken. When you push when you push the button, it only shapes one photo. I mean, you know, I was expecting, you know, something you know, closer does, to twenty four photos. It has a HDMI out, Alex. You could just plug it into something and record it. You know, you know. You know I've been thinking about that. Go when, li- when, it goes out, when it does the HDMI out, yeah. does it can you turn off all the menus and just get a pure signal? Um I don't know. Steve, can you? Mm. I'd be willing to bet uh, Aaron, that's also a uh, I bet that's a very sampled down, you know, poorly no, I, sampled down. You know, I bet you, to you I bet you so. it's not. I don't think so. I yeah. bet you it's 422 uncompressed because here's the here's what all these little all the little handheld camcorders, the HDMI out, every one that we've tested. And we we don't know if all of them do it, but every one that we've tested is uncompressed 422 coming out the back of these little handheld cheap cameras. And the reason my my theory about the reason for this is uh, is that it's cheaper mm-hmm. to build a camera that just pipes the data straight from the chip to the to the HDMI than to compress it and then uncompress it again. So I, I well I was more concerned that they would just do something like only you know like they would drop every other pixel or every third pixel to get you to the resolution you needed as opposed to doing an accurate sampling down. Yeah, that so I don't if, know. You know, yeah. I, and, I and that would be my concern because you could see massive you know moire kind of patterns showing up. Right. I, I will tell you, Alex, that um, I did actually. Um, now that I think back, I I used the HDMI out with the D3, um, and uh, the image that would pop up on the screen uh, looked looked very good. I mean, yeah. I don't know exactly the compression and all that, but but it, it looked it looked really good. Yeah. So. No, I think it's I think it's a pretty uh, uh, solid output out of a lot of these. But what we what we need to do before we talk about it anymore, is test it. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we have, we have a couple of those bodies. So, so Steve, you said when you, when you use the HDMI, you, you actually used it on a job or are you just playing around with it? Well, actually, no, I, I used it on a job. It was with Carson Kressley in Times Square. We were photographing uh, people, making them look bad in one shot, making them look beautiful in another. And it was all going to a, a, a flat panel screen TV, and it was all being videoed. And I guess that video hasn't come out yet. It'll probably come out in the next couple of weeks. But uh, the image that popped up from the picture that I had taken uh, looked, I have to say, uh, pretty good. Um, it really did. So, And it was in a real-world situation. The delay was not very long, and uh, it worked for the purposes that we were using it for. There was a delay, though, between what was on the camera and what was on the screen? Yeah, there was. There was probably, you know, maybe a second and a half as it processed. Well, then it could be being compressed and uncompressed. I mean, if it, if it was uncompressed, it would be real-time. Like, it would just oh, look like video coming out of the camera. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there was a delay. So there could be something else going on. Yeah, yeah, true. I was shooting raw, by the way, so I don't know if that makes a difference. I don't know. It shouldn't, right? It shouldn't. If, 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 if my theory was, and it sounds like my theory may be inaccurate, if my theory was accurate, it, would be, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't care what you were shooting because it's just piping data straight out. But uh, gotcha. I may have an inaccurate theory. Gotcha. Well, somewhere in there it's got to be doing debayering and uh, all the kind of stuff that it right. does to get an right. image off a sensor. Well, there's only one way to find out. Test. Test. Yeah. We'll get Fred's in here. And test. Yeah. Uh, hey, did, you guys, did you guys see, uh, you know, a very short time ago that, that news story about, I think it was an aircraft that, that went down in the Hudson in New York? <laughs> there was, a, it was, <laughs> did, did that happen? It, happened, like, it was the last page of the newspaper or something, or, you know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear much about it, but I, I hear, you know, maybe it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> we saw the photo, right? You know, you know where that photo came from? Alex? Hey. Well, I know. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're looking at the notes. I'm looking at the notes. <laughs> what, what is the polar opposite of a D3X or a 5X? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe once and for all we could sort of end this whole resolution megapixel thing saying, you know, it doesn't really matter because you can get a great image from an iPhone. I think it just matters what you have available. It's like, you know, what light do I like to shoot with? Available light. Any light that's available. You know, right. what camera do I like to shoot with? If there's a plane going down, yeah, if, if, if I'm going to shoot with my <laughs> but this iPhone. Is a, this is a good reason to have a camera in your pocket all the time. All the time. Yeah. 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 So just to clear it up, that shot of the camera, or of the camera, of the plane that went into the Hudson uh, was shot with an iPhone and uh, was shared initially to the world through a series of tubes known as Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and TwitPic, right? TwitPic. And it brought, yeah. I, I understand it brought TwitPic off the air. I don't know if it brought them down, but it, I think it definitely brought them to their knees. Yeah, you know, so there's a little bit of interest. Yeah, so uh, I think they need to invest a little bit more money in the data center over there or something. But, I, I, you know, this gets back into what we were talking about earlier, is just the ubiquity of, of all of this, you know, photography in general. You know that you just—it's yeah. it's not the big brother issue, really. It's the little brother <laughs> that everybody, uh, yeah. everybody's armed. I mean, we have this this huge controversy here in San Francisco related to a uh, a man that was shot, you know, in at the Bart, mm -hmm. you know, at our at yeah. our at our train station mm -hmm. uh, in Oakland, and they're throwing riots. And the the reason that that people are rioting is because they saw the video. Yep. You know, they saw the video. They saw the stills. No one can tell them that something didn't happen. You know, they everyone can make decisions very quickly on their on their own. And that used to be something that oh, Rodney King happened to be in the you know happened to be around someone who had a camera. Now mm -hmm. everyone is around someone who has a camera. Yeah, yeah. So is that good or bad? Is it good that everything's being recorded, or is it an invasion of privacy that everything's being recorded? I it's, think it's, good. it's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. Number one is it doesn't matter. <laughs> Number two, I think usually we we. Uh, 
we do better as citizens of a democracy when everyone can shoot photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But, and but in a way, it, it, oh, go ahead, Ron. Well, I was just going to say, it clearly does change the world, right? It really does change people's expectations of, of what it's like to be out in the public place and what that means and, and, you know, expectations of how much privacy you have. And, you know, whether it's good or bad, it, it is the way that, that things are going. And I really think, and, you know, it's only going to get, get worse where even, you know, in, in your home, you know, if somebody's, if you've got the window open, um, you know, there's going to be a greater and greater chance that there's, you know, the Google van is driving by and is going to get a picture of you. So, <laughs> is, you it, is it good news or bad news for photographers is another question that maybe is closer to our hearts. And, you know, the fact is that, you know, everything, you know, in the past, this would have been the domain of the photojournalist uh, to go and cover the story. And chances are, you know, you're not going to get there, you know, right, right when it's happening. Now everyone has a camera. And in a way, it's, it's kind of ramped up the bar for people that like us who are serious, our listeners who are serious about doing photography. We have to kind of, you know, somehow um, ramp up our own game and, and get to the next level and provide something beyond just a recording of, of what's out there, something, something more interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that one of the things that is interesting is that it, there are many great photojournalists and many great you know, uh, videographers that are all over the world gathering news. Uh, but I always had the Im- impression that you know half of them you know were had their job just because they were willing to go to Afghanistan, you know you know they they were good at what they did, but they were also you know willing to put themselves out there. You know you see a lot of stuff that maybe all you know wasn't always the the best video qu- quality or the best still quality, but they were there. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to the point oh. where you really have to be you really have to be good. You know, really, you know, you have to be, you have to be a Steve Simon. Yeah. Oh, stop. You have to Simonize. <laughs> you know, nice. Yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> Steve's like, oh, great. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but you have to be someone who really has that, you know, it's more than just being there anymore. You know, you, you, it's more than, you, you can't, that's I, not going to I would, I would say that I think it's, it's always been more than just being there. It's been, uh, and, you know, just, just disregarding the, the photographic skill, there's, there's a real skill to, you know, being in the right place when you're there, and even just there's a skill to understanding about, you know, how do you how do you get yourself into the right place, and how do you, uh, you know, set up for that, and how do you deal with these adverse conditions and stuff. So you know, it, it's it's sort of been eye opening to me as I think more and more about this that, you know, the skills of a photographer that's on location like that go far beyond knowing just you know when to press the shutter or what to dial in on their settings. It's about Understanding the real gestalt of all this. I mean, if you t- you know talk to Scott Bourne about the wildlife photography, it's the same thing. It's not just about understanding your gear. It's about understanding, you know, what are the animals going to do? What's what's their behaviors that are going to determine how I get to the place I need to be? Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, that that is definitely true. Although I I do think that uh, the overall population's uh, photographic uh, uh, abilities have have increased just with the equipment because you can see what you do wrong immediately and correct it and and uh, whereas I think that definitely holds true still I think we're all kind of having to ramp up to a to a higher level to which is a good thing really I mean I, I don't think people that are passionate about it you know compared to you know people that have a camera to record things in their lives I mean for those of us like our listeners um, it, you know it's good it just pushes us a little little further a little faster to, yeah. to get better. And, you know, the other piece of this, if I can go back to the original sort of photosynth thought, is if you have a scenario like that where you have so many different cameras capturing the scene to the detail that you can effectively recreate the scene in the computer, 
you know, at some point you may find the best photos emerge by some guy who goes to this database and creates his own camera that's a mix of multiple photos taken from a different angle that nobody was necessarily at directly. And and it comes up with a really good photo that, you know, just wasn't possible unless you had the data from all these other cameras. So, Ron, Ron, Alex, you guys are this week in media, right? So what do you think it's possible... Uh, hypothetically speaking, to create a video version of Photosynth where, you know, instead of taking still shots, you actually have a video live preview that you can walk around and see every potential angle, like, for example, at the inauguration? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, because what it's going to do is, of course, going to treat it as a a bunch of individual shots. That's a lot of horsepower. Yeah, that's that's what's really happening is is there'll be a whole slew of... of, uh, of individual shots that it can that it can uh, analyze to make all of that work. It's yeah. harder when you and have it, a lot of moving objects. It's easier when you're in a in an area where you just want to get every angle. Mm-hmm. You know, having a video where you see people walking by uh, in different angles will take some time, but it's totally possible. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, really, you will end up with a scenario where if you have enough coverage of a scene or even a live event. Uh, We'll have a full 3D environment. You can walk around in after moving. the fact, put your camera wherever you want. Yeah, it's a movie, but it's a 3D environment. So you yeah. can put your camera wherever you want after the, you know, after the fact and, and choose your angles then. That would be cool. I feel, I feel like I've seen a commercial or something like that where it's, it's a bunch of stitched together pieces of a scene and you know they have a character walking through it and things are happening. And each, each scene uh, that's overlaid with the other is... is of a slightly different exposure, so you can tell that they're right. you know different pieces sort of melding, you know, molding or melding together. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just like taking one photo at a well, time. Well, we really are. Yeah, we're really we're really at the very beginning of all of this. It, yeah. it feels like oh, this is you know this is something that's, that we're in the middle of, but we're you know what being able to you know get all of that data quickly and easily is is, and I think that you know of of anyone right now, Microsoft is probably doing some of the heaviest lifting. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. right right now they have something that's really cool. But it's, uh, but you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it, it'll be fun uh, on our 25th anniversary show to play clips from this show and yes. just sort of see what we knew back, yeah. back or back didn't, back didn't know. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's an article uh, that, that's in here about about uh, some controversy in photography. I don't want to say the word scam, but you know, there's some sort of controversy that Steve was pointing to in this article. Steve, you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, um, sure, sure. Yeah, the uh, the photo editor is actually a, a kind of an interesting, um, a photoeditor.com is kind of an interesting blog that a lot of professionals use because uh, the gentleman who writes this is a former uh, photo editor, I think at one of the men's magazines. Uh, I, his name escapes me at the moment, but he was basically talking about all these contests that have popped up in recent years and you know he basically says that uh, you know a lot of them are just pure money-making endeavors that are out to uh, generate money for the people that create these contests because the entry fees are, are high um, and and questions the 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 benefit of actually participating in a lot of these things does it really help you or not and I have to agree to a certain extent there's so many of them and as professionals and even students that want to sort of further their careers entering contests getting recognition getting stuff seen and using them for your portfolio listing them it, it's really important but the the price you have to pay uh, financially is is often quite high 
and uh, it, you know, is the investment worth it? There are a lot of con there are a few contests that, of course, there are no entry fees, and they have been that like that for a lot of a uh, long time. I, I have to agree. I, I just think it's gotten kind of out of control, and you know, the more things you enter, the more chance you have to win. But but how much do you do you want to spend, and how much can you afford to these days? I know we've been making a lot of money on on our contests. <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been you know I, I oh I guess I probably shouldn't have said that with the rest of the hosts around. <laughs> I guess more accurately, oh. I've been making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, <laughs> hmm, I think it's time to end the show right now. What do you guys think? <laughs> I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, I definitely think that that's a that's a challenge, you know, uh when you when you deal with this is to um figure out a way that uh you know, I think it. You know, we, my, you know, my, uh, my wife and I look at stuff of like the the kids' photo channel. You know, these these, uh, they have t every month, they have like ten different places you can put your kids' photo, <laughs> so that so and, and that doesn't cost anything most of the time. Uh, but of course, what for them, it's a, it's reducing their costs of finding models for the gap. And of course, there, it's tons of PR for whatever the the group is, and uh, usually advertising and so on and so forth. And so, someone's making money on that. Now, the question is, is whether you, whether the individual gets anything out of it. I think, in some ways, just getting out there and shooting because you have a reason to shoot yeah. is the thing. I mean, that's what that's why we created our contest, and we don't make any money on it. Right. But the key is, is that it's having a, a, a a reason to go out and shoot if you're not doing it professionally or or a reason to go out and shoot something that you don't do professionally and have someone critique it right and i think yeah. i think in a lot of ways for a lot of folks and myself included uh flickr provides a lot of that you know sort of that community yeah. where you can take a picture that you know you think is good technically or aesthetically or whatever and you can throw it up there and you get some comments on it you know where they're pos usually positive on flickr for some reason it's a very positive sort of atmosphere in Flickr. I'd very rarely get any negative or uh, critical yeah. uh, comments. Not that all my images are great, but you know, people tend to, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all type right. feel on Flickr. Um, you know, something a little stronger, I think, would be good you know but uh, right. barring that it's good to get some kind of comment on your mm -hmm. photos absolutely I, I you know i do think that the, the article that we we're talking about does make a good point that you you shouldn't just be immediately suspicious though of a contest that requires money right mm -hmm. it's uh they, they make a very good point that to run a big contest you you know you have to number one sort of eliminate people from sending in ten thousand of their best photos and you have to you know, probably pay somebody, obviously, to go through and judge these things. And it's not a trivial thing if you have thousands of photos to go through. So there is justification for there being a cost for some of these photo, you know, contests. But on the other hand, you know, you've got to weigh the, the benefits of submitting that. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think we would move on. The uh, hey guys, can I just can I just throw something? No, in? Because, you know, no, first, you can't, Steve. I'm sorry. Oh, you can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go I ahead. just wanted to say because I know Alex, you, you, Alex, you spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe. Is that not correct? In Zimbabwe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Zimbabwe. I, I didn't even pronounce it right. I mm -hmm. apologize. But no uh, apparently, the D90 in Zimbabwe, the black market price is now uh, five thousand quintillion dollars. That's four comma nine nine five and fifteen zeros. So, um, it's expensive. It's wow. expensive. Well, I just well but, but fortunately, but, but you can you can you can now get. They just started printing fifty trillion dollar uh, notes, which I really want to go down and get before they go. Before they, you know, you, I, I have a it's, collection of, of Zimbabwe dollars, <laughs> uh, everything from like a one dollar uh, coin, 
to I think my highest, uh, my most valuable. Well, actually, the one that has the most numbers on it, not the most valuable. Yeah, uh, is fifty million. I think. And is what is the, that the equivalent of in dollars? Fifty million isn't worth a penny. Uh, the uh, fifty billion. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, fifty. No, I'm sorry. Fifty trillion is uh, a, like a hundred dollars. Wow. So it's okay. um, so anytime anyway, you, just, you think our economy is in the toilet, just look exact at exact you know. five thousand quintillion dollars. That's, that's a, a lot. That's a that's a lot of money. How did how, not you know to what, get too far off track? But for how, most how, how do you ways. manage that? I mean, you're going to buy a candy bar or something. Well, that'll be one billion dollars for that. No, yeah. you really get used to it. After a while, you know, you you uh, you have huge wads of cash in your in your cargo pocket, and you're not worried about people stealing it because it's not really worth that. It's like having yeah. ten bucks, and and the you know you get used to, you you. Anytime you're in Zimbabwe, you acclimate to whatever the, the current rate is because the rate's changing every day, mm-hmm. but it's not changing a lot. So once you get like this is how many zeros are at the end of it. And typically they've cut zeros off by the time they've gotten to trillions. And the reason that they've cut it off is A, they can reuse dollars that were older because it's you know, they, they go back to using them. And B, they it breaks the cash registers. You know, because the cash registers can't handle that many zeros. And so a lot of times everyone just kind of informally ignoring the last six zeros or whatever. Yeah. Because the cash register won't do a trillion dollars. You know, they're not used to people coming in and spending a trillion dollars on anything. So the, uh, but it's very interesting when you're, when you're there. Now, and what most people do when it comes to electronics, when it, to bring it back to buying photography. Yeah. Um, if, when they go to Strachan's, which is the place that you buy photo- buy cameras and generally in, uh, in Harare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you buy it with you know uh, U.S. dollars or pegged to U.S. dollars or you know the the reality is is all of that crazy stuff that's going on in Zimbabwe. The reason that it changes so quickly is everyone's actually large portions of the population. The people who are really spending money yeah. are spending rands, euros, pounds, and dollars. And there's just this conversion process that requ- that is required to meet the laws requirements of going back. So everyone has U.S. dollars the day before they buy the camera. They swap it into Zimbabwe dollars. They buy the camera, and then they, you know, and, and then they're off, off and running. Um, but it's that swap that causes the two hundred fifty million percent inflation. I think. I think the uh, this week in this week in, in economics. This week in economics. <laughs> I think. I think if the automakers didn't specify dollars when they were asking for their bailout funds, we should just pay them in Zimbabwe. No, we money. should have said, oh, wait, here's a, here's fifty billion. How about a hundred billion? That's yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. We can just throw it at you. <laughs> Um, so let, let's move on to the pick of the pick, picks of the week. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of the yes. show. Yes, Aaron, do you have a pick of the week? I certainly do. What is it? It comes from my experience this last week. Um, a lot of the Twitter followers from from Twip that I have saw me this last weekend, calling out for advice on um, how to warmly dress myself for inauguration for a couple of days, and uh, so I didn't completely freeze to death in the process. And uh, I got a tremendous amount of really excellent feedback, uh, all of which I, I adhered to in, in my shopping over the weekend. And um, one of the uh, the followers whose whose name I, I will put in the show notes says, you know, thank you for for mentioning this. Um, recommended some gloves. I, he described the type. I, I don't know that I ended up buying the same brand. Maybe they're the same. I don't know. But the ones I did buy that I I used and loved this weekend, uh, they're made by a company called Manzella. M A N Z E L L A. And they're the Cascade Convertible Waterproof Gloves. Um, generally speaking, mittens are warmer than gloves because it keeps your fingers together side by side rather than separating them. And this is a, a great compromise for uh, photographers because uh, basically they are gloves with the fingertips cut out, uh, all except for your thumb. Your thumb is always covered, but your other four fingers are there, namely your index finger that you need. And um, But the whole 
front of the glove is a mitten that is hinged on the back behind your knuckles. So when you're not shooting, you just flip that down and your fingers are essentially in a mitten and nice and warm. And uh, they have thin slate in them and they're waterproof and so on. But uh, as soon as you need them, just kind of a flick of the wrist or you just pull on your fingers a little bit and uh, the whole top of it flips open and your fingers are exposed and you can, you know, move all the little fiddly bits on your camera that you need um, you know, when you've got to have that control. So when you're spending two hours being crushed to death by strangers, you keep your fingers covered. And then when Obama comes at you, flip it open and take pictures. And uh, it really did a wonderful, wonderful job for me all weekend long. They weren't cumbersome at all and kept me plenty warm. You know what was interesting? Uh, Liana Lehua, uh, during Macworld, showed, showed me some gloves that she had, which were nowhere thick enough for what you guys needed out there in, in, uh, in D.C. But uh, basically these were like sort of regular San Francisco weather gloves, <laughs> but they had a nickel uh, metal on each of the fingertips, or at least the index finger and the middle finger. That uh, basically what she told me was with nickel on there, you can actually still operate your iPhone because nickel coming in contact with the glass, uh, you know, allow the capacitive reductance or whatever that technology is to uh, to actually work. Whereas normally you'd have to have your bare finger there. Now, that kind of technology with the giant gloves that you guys had the arctic wear that would have been, that, nice combination. that would have been a nice combination well, i would throw in a secondary pick as would be all, any of the under armor um uh basically uh long underwear is what it comes down to it's kind of high-tech long underwear and is that your uh, super super superhero outfit that yeah you're I, well i refer to it as my super suit because it is the um most absolutely unflattering i feel like human sausage kind of thing when i put it on and, uh, I if liked you your remember, cape, by the way, Aaron. <laughs> Would you say cape? The, <laughs> yes, the, I do. the early trailers of The Incredibles, where he's pulling on his super suit and it's like busting apart and zinging around the room. <laughs> precisely how I felt when I was putting this on. So, uh, that said, fortunately, it's under my clothing. No human being, including my wife, even saw it, and I was toasty warm all weekend long. But it was well, a tremendous we'll, relief when I peeled it off later. And we'll post some pictures of you in it uh, on the website. <laughs> the, the, the Google well, van was driving by your house at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a friend, a friend of mine uh, that I went on a photo walk with um, uh, last weekend in a Treasure Island, he was testing out these new pants. You know, you know, basically they're like giant cargo pants with padded knees and a gazillion pockets, and they, you know, they they're not the most flattering pants in the world, but if you're out on a shoot. They were really cool because you know I had I had just regular jeans on and I'm kneeling on asphalt trying to get a close shot of something. He had these things on. He's all over the place. They're kind of like, you know, BDUs or, or battle yeah. battle dress gear, but for uh, for photographers. He wrote up a really good blog post about it at uh, I think his blog is confessionsofatraveljunkie.com. Confessionsofatraveljunkie.com. And it uh, you know he's got pictures and all that stuff there. Really cool pants. I may get some if I can if I can wear them with no one seeing me while I'm <laughs> shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot when no one's around. There's I mean, always that. <laughs> there's always that, you know, the vain piece of, of being a photographer. Uh, and Ron, Ron, what's your, uh, what's your pick? Uh, I actually have an iPhone app. And, and no, it's not Wobble. Even though I know you wanted to pick that. <laughs> I wasn't going to uh, mention Wobble. We were trying to leave Wobble out of this. The iPhone application <laughs> called Wobble. I was not going to mention that. Come on. <laughs> Go ahead, we'll right. just edit that out then. We'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah. No, my, mine, is, um, mine is a handy little thing. There, there's a, a company that I know we've talked about several times on this uh, show called Red that makes uh, movie cameras. And, it's a little um, company. 
little company gotten gotten a little bit of press over the very years. Very conservative. They don't really do anything new. They just kind of yeah, you know, just exactly. Play around. Yeah. But they have a uh, a little iPhone app called IC4K. And even if you're not shooting with a red camera, uh, what, it, what it is is it's a uh, it's just a set of tools for figuring things out related to your camera, like hyperfocal distance or, or field of view or something like that. So it's just a nice little calculator sort of thing. And there's there's a few of these out there on the iPhone uh, app store, but this one I think is, is just really nice. It's well put together. If you're not shooting with a red camera, there's a few bits and pieces of it that are you know not useful to you, but it's it's free. And now, which, which one uh, are you using again? Just, Sorry, say that again. What, it's, it's called IC4K, I-S-E-E-4K. Mm-hmm. But it's real quick for me to, you know, go ahead and, and uh, dial in, you know, for a 50-millimeter lens uh, on a 35-millimeter body, you know, 35-millimeter sensor at 10 feet away or 10 meters away. You know, the uh, horizontal field of view is 24.8 degrees. You know, and I, a lot of times you may not need that level of accuracy, but sometimes it's pretty handy. Or, you know, like I said, figuring out hyperfocal distance, and it's just well laid out. So yeah. um, the chances are there's probably some other apps out there that are more targeted towards uh, photographers directly. Yeah, I, and you know, I, use, I, you know. I, I think I, I use one that's very similar called DOF Calc, or D, I think it's mm-hmm. DOF Calculator, and it it is uh, it's the one that I actually use on set a lot. And it, it I can, you know, it has film format, so I can really say red, or I can say two-thirds inch sensor like for our 950, or I can list just about every still camera that's available, and then say this is my focal length, this is my aperture, uh, this is the distance of my focus, and then it'll tell me my focus distance, my near, it'll say this is the focus distance, and then it'll say this is my near limit, my far limit of what's in focus, total depth of field, and uh, and, and what, the reason that that's useful for me is as I'm calculating especially like uh, a portrait or, or, or a host, and I want to say, well, I want to give that, that host three feet of... of uh, three feet of standing room so if they back up or move forward they're going to stay in focus i can very very quickly um you know kind of right. go uh, yeah you know, know oh i got I, I got three i got a meter that i that i can yep. give them and that that is uh very very valuable yeah the, the other one that i have that's uh, on, on my iphone is called visual depth of or visual dof uh, and, and that's really good for that, too. I, the reason I, I mentioned the, the IC4K one is it's a little more graphic in terms of it actually, like, for the uh, angle right. you know, the, the angle of view coverage stuff. It gives you a nice little sort of 3D-ish kind of diagram of what you're nice. seeing, so it's really easy to, to understand. But, you know, especially a couple of these are, are free or really cheap, so it doesn't hurt to have a couple of them, too. I, I, I've been buying pretty much all of them. <laughs> I'll yeah. buy this one, too. You know, so, yeah. Now, so all the, all the apps that you guys mentioned, they're what ninety nine cents or whatever. Yeah, most of them. This the IC four K is free. Oh. Yeah, I like that. Nice thing. Zero Alexes oh, called yes. PhotoCalc. That's very similar to the ones you all mentioned too. PhotoCalc. Mm-hmm. PhotoCalc. Okay. Cool. Does depth of field. I'm somewhere. not going to talk about the one that I like because that's my pick, and I'm going to wait until uh, Steve. We're goes. all picking the, our, our iPhone apps. <laughs> yeah, it's the iPhone pick of the week episode. Yeah, exactly. Steve, do you have an iPhone pick of the week, or have uh, something else? Well, I would probably pick the one you're about to pick, so I will leave it for you. Go ahead. And I have no, more. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I'll I'll let you uh, talk about that one. Um, I I, you know, last minute to decide it. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy using uh, for portraits with my little SB800 flash is the Lazolite Hot Shoe Easy Box, which is really basically a 24-inch softbox that's very easy to um, fold up and take out. And it provides a really uh, studio flash quality 
soft light, and it's very light and relatively easy to carry around when you've got some sort of a portrait uh, location shoot to do. So I, I like those kinds of soft boxes that Laserlight makes because I always have a hard time, you know, not so much putting them up, but taking them down. Mm-hmm. Some of the, uh, the soft boxes can be a real, you know, difficult to, to, you know, unless you're strong how big is for it, a week Steve? man like me it's it's a little difficult uh, this one is 24 by 24 and it, oh, you, wow. you can have a, a handle um that uh, you so you can basically hold it off camera and you know be your own light stand and it's it's I, I imagine like people that are doing event shoots wedding shoots would find this particularly uh, a good thing. Have you used the, uh, what was that, the Fong Dong, the Gary Fong Oh, thing? yes, I have, the Gary Fong. Uh, that's a lot smaller. Granted, the quality of light with that is nice, nicer than your straight flash and maybe even nicer, arguably, than some of the other, um, you know, diffuse uh, attachments that cost way too much money, little pieces of plastic for 30 bucks. Um, but this one really does give you a, a studio quality light, and that's so, why it's, it's bigger. And but it's it's worth it for a lot of shoots. I so think. this is something you just throw your you throw your flash. It's just the softbox, and you throw your standard flash that you were using uh, uh, into it, right? Mm-hmm. Into the into exactly. kind of the opening, and exactly. it, just, it just makes it big and diffuse. Yeah. Exactly. You know, as we know, the bigger the light source, the softer light. This is a kind of a nice compromise. You know, it's 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 small enough that you could actually you know, somewhat comfortably carry it around with you and hold it off camera and shoot and get a really beautiful quality of light. So that's why that's why I like it. It's a bit of a, a secret that uh, I use when I'm doing those kinds of shoots. Yeah, bigger, when it comes to light sources and, and getting soft, flattering light, bigger is always better, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, not always, yeah. but usually better. <laughs> so. Um, what's my pick of the week? Um, I think we're going to go with an iPhone application for my pick of the week. And it's, uh, it's a little app called Camera Bag. And uh, it basically is a little thing you install on the iPhone, and you can take photos with, you know, from within the application. It'll engage the camera, or you can uh, have it manipulate photos that you already have in your library. Um, but you can apply effects to them, to the photos, like an instant camera look. So it'll make it look like a Polaroid shot or infrared or uh, fisheye or, you know, just 1974 sort of washed out yellow grainyish look. You can do all that stuff right in the right in the iPhone and then save it back to your library and email it to people and do that sort of thing. So this makes it a little bit more fun to play with the camera the, you know, in the images that are in your camera rather than just the straight out of the camera shots. It looks great. That's a lot of fun. I played with it uh, at Macworld, and I've got it, and it it is really cool. It is fun. Like, I what's your favorite one, Fred? I I kind of like uh, they have that instant SX70 kind of framing and fisheye and all kinds of stuff. I think I think I'm a fan of the Helga because it gives you this sort of uh, vignetting effect, and I, I like right. that a lot. Yeah, I wish you could combine them because I want. You know, I want the sort of instant look, and then I also want to vignette it. So, you know, you're, but you know, I you're mean, never satisfied. I think I think we should have like a little nodal interface on our on our iPhone that we can just connect them and change them. What do you think, Ron? We could throw that together. I love the nodes. <laughs> <laughs> the nodes are good. So my pick, I have a qualified pick mm-hmm. for uh, for this week, and so I'm going to pick a camera uh, that I I buy and, and I complain about constantly. <laughs> Um, I, I'm but you want already. the listeners exactly. to go get it, right? but I. But <laughs> you it know stays, how to sell, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm I am a born salesman, so they don't buy this. Card, so I so. buy this camera. I got this camera, and I complain about it all the time. But it does. The reason that it stays in my bag 
is because it does one thing that the other cameras don't. And that is, this is the Ricoh R10, and this is a little compact camera. It's a, it's a, you know, three hundred bucks. It's, it's not a very expensive camera. Uh, well, at least for compared to a lot of the stuff that we're using, and it's not great as far as manual control. It doesn't shoot raw. Uh, it shoots mostly automatic. There's not a lot of control. Sorry, it's me. Um, my, is that is that Queen? No, the, no, it's actually some, it's a bunch of Africans singing at the top of their lungs. You're going to say that you know, but the camera does play music. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the reason I have it is because I I need another Walkman. So, so now what this camera does is uh, that that makes it special is that it is uh, it shoots time lapse and it is the most in the fact that every compact camera doesn't shoot time lapse is insane. It is a it is a little runtime that just says fire. <laughs> just take a picture every five seconds. Every you know, let the give the user a little interface that says, "I want to take a photo every five seconds, or every one second, or every thirty seconds, or whatever it is." And I'm just going to keep on doing that until I run out of memory or run out of battery. Uh, the fact that these other cameras don't do it now. The G9, the I actually went in this. I bought this in Japan, and I walked in, which is really exciting when you bring it home and you realize that all the interfaces are in Japanese. Mm. Um, then you have to kind of go through them to figure out how to turn them back into English. But the I went in to buy a G9, and they didn't have a G9. All they had were G10s, and the G10 had taken all the time lapse out of it, out of the uh, functionality. So then I started looking around. I started finding other ones that might have. I actually Googled sitting in big camera, <laughs> or or in uh, Akabahara, you know, uh, going, okay, what camera has time lapse? And this is the one that came up. So then I walked over to it and I looked at it. And here's the thing. And I just accidentally, I didn't realize how special this one feature is. Is that it shoots full res. So the G9, if you have a G9, it'll shoot time lapse, but it'll only shoot it at I, I believe it's actually 640 by 480. Oh, is it that small? Yeah. So it and 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 every other compact camera that I've seen will shoot time lapse at uh, at a vi- in a video format because they su- they assume you want to play it back. Well, I can do that later. Yeah. You know, I can I can create that video later. What I need are the raw frames, and what I want is is the full 10 megapixel that I'm getting out of the camera. Mm-hmm. Now. I could, if I wanted to, and here this is this is the rub. I could use my 20D, and I could go out there and 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 get a the little controller that Canon makes. Yeah, the intervalometer in there. Right? Yeah, and so and then I can sit there and set it to to take a picture every every five seconds or every second or whatever. The problem with that is, is that with with an SLR, uh, you are moving that mirror <laughs> every time you take the photo, and most of these SLRs, a lot of the like the smaller ones at least, are rated for. 150,000 uh, uses. Mm-hmm. In one week, I did 10,000 images with Oops. this Rico. So the thing is, is it wouldn't take me very long to burn to burn out my shutter on a on an SLR if I if I really got into into this into this process. And so, so that you really want it on a compact camera, and the fact that these other compact cameras can't do it is extremely frustrating. Um, and it's really fun. To take time lapse, and what's great about taking a big ten megapixel is that you can pan and pan and scan inside of it. So you can theoretically zoom. You know, this is what I've been playing with: is is that a whole bunch? I took a time lapse, for instance, of people building a set for a movie for a movie scene. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome, but it turned out when I built it, only people were only really ha- the all the action was happening in the lower quarter. So I just cut that part out, and that's yeah. the part that I that I'm that I'm looking at. And I could zoom around if something else happened. I could move up somewhere else. I could do all of that stuff inside of this, and so I, if, if if this is what you're looking for, but you're you, Alex, you know the grain of salt with that is you are an edge case, you know. So like the the even if it's 640 by 480 in the G9, 
It's, I'm only going to use that once a year, maybe, unless I'm like really getting into time lapse stuff. So the reason I'm it's probably uh, the reason good I'm enough. recommending it. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm recommending it is two reasons. Mm-hmm. One is there might be other people out there like me <laughs> who would love to take time lapse and no. can't find it in their camera because yeah. no one puts it in. And the second reason is is to tell the camera manufacturers that you should put it in. Yeah, it's one little thing. You just it's, it's just another little thing in the menu. You don't have to change any of the hardware. Everyone could add it to their camera tomorrow. Uh, it, it is. It, it, it's just an insane thing that this isn't available because it is a lot of fun. Anytime you see someone building something or crowds building or your kids doing something, it is. There's something magical about. And the frustrating thing is, this would even be more magical if I could get uh, if I could control the shutter speed and you know all that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, the uh, if there's something magical about watching lots of people run around really really fast. Yeah. You know and build something. So, so if if you're like Alex, then the uh, R10 is your solution. Let us know at twitpodcast at gmail <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. If, if if you think this is a good idea, send Fred an email at twitpodcast at gmail Frederick, yeah. yeah. Send Frederick an email. Yes. At, yeah. And I'm, w- I'm sending you an email, Fred. I think it's. A good <laughs> you idea. think it's a good idea. <laughs> the other this week in media guys surprise. Yes, prize. it's very very cool. <laughs> I think more megapixels is better. Where's my propeller? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm. I still haven't used that feature in my G9. I'm going to use it one day, but I still haven't done any time lapse. Because you know why? It takes too long. I need to use my camera. Well, what, what's perfect about it is what's perfect. Well, that's why I, I have leave my camera stationary well, for three days. And the guys are making fun of me in, in Japan because I have three cameras. Because I had my LX, my LX3 was sitting in my pocket. Yeah. And then when I then I also was oftentimes carrying around my my Canon. And then I had this guy on a on a. Um, on uh, you know the Gorillapod because mm-hmm. the great thing this combined with a Gorillapod is awesome because you just wherever you're at you just kind of wrap the camera up on on a tree limb or on a fence or on a whatever yeah and uh, and then you just set it to go and then you go about doing whatever else you're doing it, it is it's not something as I said I use this camera only for one thing and that is to is to shoot time lapse here's so, an idea time lapse photo synth <laughs> hey <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> In HDR. <laughs> in HDR. <laughs> At 261 megapixels. Yeah, there's so much to do, so much to do. All right. All right, moving right along here. We do have a, a, a listener website pick uh, from the Boston Globe's Big Picture. They have a series of photos on there of the inauguration preparations. And these are, wow. You know, now, <laughs> Aaron and, and uh, Steve, did it look like that? I mean, it was just, just how did they get so many chairs into that city? It's just crazy. <laughs> Go ahead, Aaron. It, it was a pretty overwhelming number of chairs, <laughs> to say the least. I have, everything about the city was just, uh, you know, changed in a lot of ways. I mean, I've never seen so many concrete and metal barriers in my life either, and uh, frequently on the wrong side of them from where I wanted to be. But uh, I guess that's the whole idea. Yeah. But, well, if you want to, you want to check out those photos and learn how many chairs will fit into the, fit into Washington D.C. They called the rental agency and they said, "How many chairs would you like?" And they said, "We'd like all of them." All of them. All of them. <laughs> you uh, want to well, know what's just generally uh, follow that the Boston Globe's uh, big picture blog because it's always awesome. The uh, I mean, I, this from the listener Garrett Brady. I suspect he sent it when they'd posted the uh, the preparations blog, and they now also have the actual inauguration uh, coverage on the big blog. Mm-hmm. And uh, great stuff. And it, it's I mean, they, they they have a fantastic photo editor who just culls through stuff that's out there and finds the best of the best. Yeah, some good stuff on there is riveting. Riveting. So onto the uh, the photo assignment. So we're in week three of the current assignment, which is shallow depth of field, which is one of my favorite ways to take pictures. Mm. You know, blurring all that detail out. You can see what's being submitted 
right now and already on the on Flickr in the Flickr discussion and in the critique groups, and you can access all those from twipphoto.com. Uh, so be sure to head over there, upload yours, and make comments on the other ones up there, and participate in the community that is Twip. You know, I was really interested when we look at the last poll results. It's, it's it was very it was evenly distributed, mm-hmm. and there were there was a lot more interest in the vague one word themes. Mm-hmm. So we had a. Uh, the, the the last one was, what TWIP photo challenges do you prefer? And the ones that we're doing right now, of course, at the bottom. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, technical uh, technique challenges were 29%, nearly 30%. Specific subject matter assignments, 24.5%. So, like, things that are yellow or old buildings. And 45%, nearly half, said vague one-word themes that, that you interpret, like decay or humor. So we're going to do that and give them some really hard ones. Yes. Like... like Crumb, <laughs> or something. Actually, that would be easy. Frustrated, <laughs> frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Illustrate the word crumb with a wide-angle lens. There you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> no macro photography. <laughs> you could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Why exactly. not? You asked for it. But we have a new poll coming up. The next one is going to be: If digital photography didn't exist, emphasis on the word digital, would you be as involved in photography as you are right now? And the answers to that will be, or the choices will be: No way. Only snapshots for events, vacation, etc. Or absolutely film or digital. It makes no difference to me. And finally, I was already shooting this much with film. Digital just makes it easier. So, which one of those buckets do you fit into? I know which one I fit into, but I'm not going to tell until after the results come in. I just find it funny that I, I use my camera all the time for just just taking notes on mm-hmm. top of taking pictures of people and everything else. Everything that I uh, that I do there is just oh, I just want to remember where that is or what that is, and I. So, so basically, you're letting you're letting digital photography erode your memory away because you don't need it anymore. You know, you know evidently, <laughs> it was gone a long time ago. So I'm not. It's not eroding. It, it's, it's washed away, and and this is the only thing I have left. You know, your body gets rid of things that you don't exercise. So exactly. it's, <laughs> your whole frontal left lobe is gone. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> long ago, long ago. Uh, we have another listener question, Alex. You want to take this one? Yeah. So this is a question uh, from Ray. He said, I've been, I've been using Aperture to store and manage approximately 15,000 photos. I religiously back up both my library and vault to external hard drives and CDs. The Aperture catalog is located on my desktop computer. Recently, I purchased and installed a Drobo. I don't know where he got that idea. And uh, with 1.5 terabyte drives, and I'm considering purchasing a second Drobo to configure it the same way. Given the external storage capacity that I will soon have, is there a backup and catalog storage strategy that you would recommend. The CDs of the vaults that I create are stored off-site. Thanks for any help. So what would you do, Fred? Um, you know, I have my own way of storing things. And I, uh, and Shoebox. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I have two Drobos. And I, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I said before in the show many times, I have one that's all my media and another that is my... Um, my photos and other documents that I, you know, don't necessarily need to have on my machine accessible, you know, at any given time, but they're connected to my little home machine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like the way that I'm, you know, that it's going with just the, the media on one, all my iTunes is, you know, my iTunes library and all that good stuff is on one. And then the, with the photos on the other, what I'm doing right now, and I'm in the process of just sort of anecdotally to this, um, upgrading based on, you know, Alex telling me that I could, you know, where to where to buy new drives at. So I've purchased some new drives, popped them into my Drobo, and it's now doing its thing. So it was 
I started it actually really, really late last night. So I put two two terabyte drives or two one terabyte drives in there. And uh, so it's doing its thing, and it says it's going to take a while <laughs> yeah. to, to do that. But, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a time commitment that I'm willing to take, yeah. or, you know, because all the magic it's doing on the back end was going to save my life later if something goes, goes down. But, you know, overall, I basically just have a, a hierarchy on that drive on my what I call my photo drobo, you know, <laughs> that has all my stuff on there. And uh, I just point at it with Lightroom. I have to say that, I, you know, I have two drobos that have identical information on them so you're redundant redundant yeah i'm redundant Square. redundant. i'm redundant well the thing <laughs> is is that what 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 became clear to me is uh, is i'm basing all of my future of all my data and everything else in a single location so no matter how good the drobo is if the, if the house burns down or someone breaks into the office or if something else happens you know i've lost my you know i've lost my data mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how it, they have it now and it's yeah. secure yeah. and so i need it in two different lo- places mm-hmm. uh, and i have to admit that what the direction that i'm going and i'm still trying to figure out how to do this well is actually based on one of ron's suggestions which is i'm, I'm researching putting everything on, on sinking my or backing up my drobo to the cloud yeah so going to back is, yep. it's backblade right backblaze backblaze uh, i i have now got close to 400 gigabytes up there right so wow. and i got, got i got an email yeah. from one of our listeners that said they have four terabytes on on back on backblaze on backblaze yeah yeah and yeah then, I mean, <laughs> that must have taken them a, a bit of time Couple weeks. either that or they got a really fat pipe but no i mean i got a fios connection at home and it's going to take about a month to get to <laughs> 600 gigabytes up there right yeah wow. so well, it's, using it all really i think Sorry. so i mean well you know you're it, not uh, using my it upload speed on fios is a lot slower than the download speed but um right, right. that's that's about what i'm seeing yeah yeah, and so it's not it, it's a, it's a slow process to get it all up there. But once you get it all up there, I don't add more than you know. I, I probably add uh, ten gigs, fifteen yeah, gigs. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the point is that it's it's smart about just continually putting stuff up after it's up there. So you know you get up there once and you know, it's just it's such a I don't know such a peace of mind to know that it's up there and it's it's useful too because it's not just the files are there. It's actually got a bit of a history. So if you do. Um, this is more for documents, you know, because I use my laptop to and back it up there too. But, you know, if I change a document, hit save, and then realize I, I really wanted to create a new version and I didn't do that, I can go back to, up to Backblaze and say, you know, I need the version from four days ago. And uh, it, it's all it's up there. So it's kind of time machine-ish like in that sense, although it doesn't have an unlimited history. I think it only goes back about a month or so. Yeah. Now, of course, just as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a side note, uh, we Drobo is a sponsor of this week in photography. Uh, we want to make sure to let, let people know that and let them know that, of course, if they go to drobostore.com, they can uh, use the coupon code TWIP and they'll get $50 off a uh, Drobo Firewire 800. And uh, it is a great uh, redundant. Now, it says up to 16 terabytes, but you can't do that right now. Right. You can't. You can what? So you can really put in 1.5s. That'll get you drives, to 6. That'll so get can you, you to buy 4. 1.5 drives today? Um, you can buy 1.5 yes. drives you can. today. Okay. Yeah. There's only make, one manufacturer, though, right, of 1.5 right now, the uh, Seagates? Yeah, we're a little afraid of the Seagates at the moment. Yeah, there's been some uh, Although talk. we're using them in Adrobo right now, and it hasn't, we haven't had the trouble, but there, there's been some failure issues with uh, the 1.5s. And that's, with that's the Mac Store as well, Drobo. right? The, with the Mac Store 1 gigabyte, there's been some issues as well that I've read about on, right. online. The ones that we buy in bulk uh, at 1 terabyte are the Western Digital Greens. The Greens? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's blue, green, and black. Right. Black is the most expensive. It's the fastest, yeah. but you're really paying a premium for that. Yeah. The blue is too slow. It's got 16 megabyte buffers, so it's going to be slow, slow writes. 
and so the, the the green is kind of the middle road. And what what makes it green? Is that it's not green like it's not it's not green because it's more environmental, or maybe it is. I don't know. Because uh, I, I saw those in fries, and they had the green packaging, and you know, it might be it might be green packaging. Friendly. But but the main thing it, is is that there's there's three, and green is the middle of three three color codes. Yeah, yeah. Of 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 stuff, and all I care about is that it is. Not as expensive as the black, but it's got 32 megabyte buffers, and that's the thing that's in the fries. The fries representative basically told me about the greens. He said, and this was yesterday, ironically. He said uh, the reason the greens are environmentally friendly is because they spin themselves down twice as frequently as the blacks do, thereby saving power. But right, right you know, which makes them a little bit slower. Yeah. Uh, they, but they also uh, they also run cooler, which means that the fan is running less on your drobo, which means the whole thing is quieter. So that's why I go with the greens as well. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I feel bad now because I just bought a black one. They're it's fast, cold. but they're the fastest. They're fast. Yeah, yeah but don't you yeah, but care you... about the rest of us, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us? You mean my, my planetary neighbors? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do. I do. But, you know, my data is important, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I was looking at the price differential between the green and the black, and I'm like, what was how much do I care what about my photos? It was 179 <laughs> bucks. Well, it's not that it's more stable. It's just that it's faster. Yeah. The black is exactly. not. It's just that and you're going to get data. I'm not convinced you're not throttled by your, you know, the, the, the connection anyway. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're, we are uh, <laughs> we are just going way off in different rat holes. <laughs> Rad, rad holes. Let's uh, chat a little bit about uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was uh, uh, presenting your photos. But I think, you know, think to we're going to save that till table next that week. discussion. We've had such a long. We're going to talk about. Today. We're going to talk about presenting your photos in a future episode of this week in photography. But so we can get to a couple questions. We're take one or two questions here. Um, there's a question on exposure compensation. So the question, I'm going to give this one to Aaron. He says, uh, hi, TwipCast. I look forward to your podcast each week as I am always educated and entertained. Yada, yada. His question is, what exactly is happening to the camera when you adju- adjust the exposure compensation? Aaron, you want to take that one? Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll tackle it. I mean, it can vary a little bit depending on, on your settings and what you're doing. But basically the idea behind exposure compensation is you let the camera meter um, the way that it's going to and make the decision that it, it makes for the exposure. And then your compensation is then your blanket statement beyond that saying, but I really want this to be a stop or a fraction of a stop or multiple stops, you know, greater or less than that, no matter what you choose. And it's kind of a proportional type of thing. So, for instance, if you want all your shots to be, a, you know, a half stop darker, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the camera meters, you know, you set your exposure compensation that way, and you're always going to have that relative adjustment. Um, and it's frequently uh, indicated in what's called EV or exposure value. And generally, one full point of EV is one is equivalent to one f-stop. And as from what I understand, too, the, the way it decides, you know, how it does the compensation is relative to the mode you're shooting in. So if you're doing a shutter priority mode at the moment, um, then it's going to compensate the exposure by adjusting the aperture. And if you're in an aperture priority mode, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to adjust the shutter speed because, again, you're telling it what you want the aperture to be. And, and that's really useful if you're shooting HDRs because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that if you're shooting HDR that you're in aperture priority so that the focus, th- that your depth of field doesn't change. Uh, just the shutter speed if you have it on a tripod and so it can it'll it'll force the ev to to kind of fit into the structure that you're trying to hit 
it, the last part of his question too was: it does the uh, in-camera exposure compensation is it the same as the exposure compensation done in something like Aperture or Lightroom? Um, and Ron can jump in on this too. But my take on it is that that the math is going to be or the goal is similar. Um, it's going to try and affect your image in an equivalent way, but it's certainly not going to be exactly the same because and, and as Alex was mentioning too, uh, since you're not wanting to affect your aperture in some cases, you know if if your EV adjustments on your camera when you're shooting on the camera affect the aperture, you're going to ultimately affect your depth of field. But making an equivalent adjustment, you know, to darken or lighten an image in those same increments in software is not going to have that impact in your image. You know, you're already out of the camera with it at that point. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're not gonna you're not gonna change the shutter speed or the depth of field. Uh, so you won't change any motion blur. All you're changing is the the brightness, if you will, the exposure of the image. But yeah, the the digital uh, algorithm is designed to give you the same sort of a change in brightness that mimics what the camera you know gets by changing either aperture or shutter speed uh, within the constraints of the data that you've already captured. So if you push it too far, you know your your whites will start to clip Flipping. or your your blacks will start to show yep. you know the the noise that's in there because you just don't have the data that you would have available if you were standing in the real scene taking the photo. Right, and that's the big advantage of doing it in the camera. And a lot of times the camera's just inaccurate. I mean it, it's especially if you have a dark scene a scene that is you want to make sure to expose your foreground correctly but it's in a bright location. Right. That's when a lot of times you want to tell your camera to ignore what it thinks it should do because it will be too dark. Because it thinks the whole world should be 18% gray. Exactly. As yeah. Alex was mentioning too with the the use of the HDR, it, it is kind of a handy trick in a way because a lot of cameras, one way to shoot HDR is if you set everything upright is to use exposure bracketing where your camera is going to fire off three shots or whatever on whatever increments you specify. If you combine that with the EV adjustments, you have the ability then to push you know the amount of, of adjustment to the image beyond the bounds of what the camera would normally allow. So for instance, a lot of Canon cameras are two stops in either direction and, and shooting three images in a bracketed shot. But if you combine that with rolling the EV all the way to the left and all the way to the right, you're going to go two stops beyond that, then the two, you know, then one, then two, and so on, all the way up the scale. So your entire sequence of shots that you take can end up being four stops or eight stops wide instead of just a two-stop you know, variation from center. And that's actually one of the advantages of the Nikon is the Nik- uh, even the smaller Nikons will do nine. Yeah, that is a wonderful three. advantage. <laughs> yeah. 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 So next question is, uh, and this will be the last question, um, Jason Imbolden, or Imboden would like to know how to get started as a photojournalist. Steve, you want to take that one? Uh, sure. How to get started as a photojournalist? Mm-hmm. Well, I think just uh, obviously, um, gosh, where do you begin? Well, decide what it is that you, you want to pursue and, and see if you can find a, a personal project that you could uh, get excited about and work on for a prolonged period of time because um, in the world of photojournalism and documentary, uh, that's what photo editors want to see. Ultimately, um, you know, they know that uh, it's a lot easier to have a portfolio of one-off really great images but they want to see how you're going to approach uh, a longer-term story. So wherever he lives, if he can find an issue that he feels strongly about, that he can gain access to and start to, to shoot and develop a set of pictures that illuminates that situation, I think uh, that's a, a huge uh, start for him. Yeah. You know, it's a tough business. I mean, you know, as we know, uh, uh, there, there are opportunities, of course, that are opening up, but the traditional photojournalism world is kind of closing in to a large extent. Newspapers are closing down. They're going online. They're laying off people. Um, but, you know, it's always been a profession that you get into because, you know, 
you, it's, it's not for the money. It's because it's something you, you feel compelled to do. And you have to have that you know, overwhelming desire to succeed in the business. If you don't have that, um, you're not going to do what it takes to, to persevere and, and get through it all. So I don't know. Does that, that begins to answer the question, right? Yeah. I, I think, you know, from my perspective, there's, if, if you are passionate about a certain kind of photography, you know, just go shoot, you know, it's like Steve said, I think for a photojournalist, it's, it's pick a subject that you're passionate about and cover it. You know, cover it like you think you want to cover it. And, you know, if you're if, if the question is, how do you get started business wise? It's a very different question. You know, or how do you pay? But, the, how do you pay the bills with photojournalism? Then how do I shoot like a photojournalist? There's there's two different. Answers. Well, and I think that the I think that it has to start with taking lots of photos. Yeah, always yeah. mileage. Yeah, because I mean, it, it is truly that 10,000 mistakes or if you want to say 10,000 hours or, mm-hmm. or whatever. There is just a matter of getting out there. I know that for me. It's not. It's not necessarily my profession, but one of the things that I have to do on a anytime we're shooting is shoot behind the scenes. Shoot mm-hmm. exactly how you know, and 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 I and the more I shoot, the more the better I get at framing it and looking at the kind of angles that I need because I I, I shoot them and then later have to use them in presentations, and it is it, and it's just an iterative process. You just want to do as much of it as you can, and and I think that sometimes people get stuck because they're trying to figure out how to turn it into a business. Uh, whereas the best way to turn it into a business is to develop a great portfolio. And the great thing about photojournalism is, is that you're not hiring models. You're not hiring, you know, you're out there taking pictures of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I said the last show, the world is your, uh, are your models. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Steve's answer was get really good at Photoshop. (laughs) 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 Not for photojournalism though, right? No, 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 no. No. The question how to make money in photojournalism. Well, actually that I, I have to admit that was my question. I put, out there under a pseudonym. So if you guys have, you guys have figured that one out for me, you can How to make money in photojournalism. <laughs> shoot, <laughs> shoot weddings on the weekend. Exactly. That's, that's, that's kind of the business model I think a lot of photojournalists are, are taking up. In all seriousness, I mean, in a way, and, and Fred and I talked about it in our little interview, maybe we didn't, but, but the thing is, uh, you know, weddings encompass, you know, a lot of the, the, the scenarios that photojournalists face every day. It's real life. It's happening. It's emotional. Um, you know, it's all contained in one day. And you can tell, you know, a very powerful story in pictures uh, by, by, by sharpening your skills as a wedding photographer and you can you know make decent money unlike you know the editorial world that that is a little bit difficult so that's why you're starting to see the competition ramp up you have for the last couple of years and a lot of photojournalists have gotten into it because it's a great way to pay their way uh, for their own project i know i have i have a good friend uh who shot shot my wedding and uh, Greg Herring, and if you, I think if you go to GregHerring.com, you'll see it. And he really approaches this whole thing from a photojournalist's point of view. So yeah. the photography that he does, what you don't end up with is a lot of people posing. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of that. He does like a, but it's like three minutes of the entire day. Yeah, are people posing? The rest of it is just capturing what people are doing. And he's exceptionally good at it. Yeah, and and that's the kind of that's the coverage that that I wanted for my wedding. And I'll be I'll. I would argue that for most people, that's the kind of picture you're going to end up putting on your wall. It's not the the wedding party lined up. Those days are going away. I think, you know, Dennis Reggie is a prominent wedding photographer who's kind of the personal wedding photographer to the Kennedy family. He, uh, you know, he sort of pioneered uh, wedding photojournalism, you know, and sort of the taking Time Magazine style 
photographs at the wedding and making it more of a personal chronology of events rather than, you know, here's mom with the groom, here's mom with the bride, here, you know, that kind of thing. And I think a lot of people today sort of gravitate toward that, and a lot, especially wedding photographers, because it allows them to be less hands-on in a lot of ways, which means people who may have been introverted can get out there and do a really good, exceptional job at a wedding, and they don't have to guide the giant groups of people. And then, you know, to Steve's point, I think, you know, because there is money in wedding photography, you know, I think a lot of the photojournalists, you know, you the people that are just sort of going into wedding photography and calling themselves wedding photojournalists because of the style of photography that they're taking, which is granted, that's what they're doing, you know, in that that sort of limited capacity of that one event. Uh, but imagine the power of the photojournalist that has been to Africa and all right. these other places that has had their feet in the trenches, you know, shooting this stuff or shooting, you know, I'm putting quotes, quote signs up, real photojournalism, you know, out in the world with, with these news stories applying that lens, you know, no pun intended, applying that lens to the wedding event imagine what you what you could do so and the main thing is just understanding what the cadence is of the of the wedding that's the only thing that you have to learn and and, and a lot of photographers uh when they get into it have trouble i used to be a wedding dj oh, oh wow i could see with the long hair no Wait, at that time i looked i thought I looked you said very... you're a wedding singer what, what? no 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 i didn't do any singing i didn't do any singing that's how i paid when i got into graphics it didn't pay yeah. you know so this is this is a good example i mean actually it, 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 that when I wanted to do computer graphics and I wanted to get into TV and I wanted to do all this stuff, you know, I didn't have a degree. I didn't have any education. I had to figure it out. And so on the weekends, I had, I had this huge collection of CDs. And on the weekend, a DJ company hired me. I knew how to mix stuff together. I understood all the equipment. And, and uh, before you knew it, I was like one of the more requested guys in, in Colorado, you know, to, do, to go to a wedding, you know, I, because I was so terrified of screwing up mm-hmm. that I'd show up three hours ahead of time to make sure I'd set up. I knew where every record store was within, you know, within 10 miles so that I could be, make sure if I, if I didn't have something, I could go get it. And, and so it, the, but the thing that you, that you got very quickly is, is it was more than that most DJs didn't get is that it was a lot more than just spinning tunes. And for photographers, it's a lot more than that. It's also dealing with the, you know, oftentimes they're, the, they're a liaison. Every, oh, every yeah. person, you're an interface with the, with the bride pr- yep. particularly. Right, and, aren't um, you guys going to miss the, and maybe you have in your album, the guilty pleasure of the couple through the keyhole. You know the couple in the wine glass. Come on, Alex. The you couple, the examples. couple in the clouds. I didn't have to shoot any of that. I just spun music. I, I, what I don't miss is is the romantics. What I like about you. And that's the song that I really don't miss because it was the third song every three times a weekend. You know. So so anyway, uh, once, twice, three times a later. No, I didn't. I didn't play that one. Alex, are, are you tearing up in the studio? Just thinking I'm thinking about, about it? it, and then I was thinking about the electric slide. Oh was, no. Oh, I, I had to play the electric slide one time nine times. We're gonna have nine to, times. We're gonna have to end the show on the electric slide. I'm sorry. I think, you know, I gotta draw the line there. I think they're ready for it again. No, no, I don't think they're ever gonna be ready for it. Can again. we? Can we? Can we edit in some electric slide music? <laughs> it's electric. Or Macarena. Let's do the Macarena. No, let's let's let's, let's move on. So, uh, you know, where where can people find you if they want to learn more about Alex Lindsay? Alex, uh, the best place to find me is really the Twitters. The Twitters yeah, and, and the Twitters. Just Alex, Alex Lindsay. Lindsay on the Twitters. Uh, S A Y, not E Y. There's another Alex Lindsay, I think, with E Y, and it's not me. Not you. And uh, Aaron, where can people find you? Uh, at my blog, uh, halfpress.com, H A L F P R E S S.com, and also on the Twitters as halfpress. Ron Brinkman. 
Can I just say, first of all, that I've been laughing for the last five minutes because I looked up those photographers' pants that you recommended. Instead of being I never said they were good looking. The <laughs> ugliest pants I have ever seen. That's awesome. I have you know, to agree. it's not about how you look; it's how your photos look. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's my. I think I, I, I looked at him and I was like, I think I'm going to stick with my black BDUs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you know, I'd wear my super suit in public. Wear, wearing ugly I, pants would affect my photography because I'd be self conscious. <laughs> Trying to hide to my click, pants and miss the shot. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I clicked through to that while somebody was talking, and I had to like cover the microphone because I almost laughed out loud. <laughs> Um, you can you can find me uh, on the Twitters at Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. All right. And uh, yeah. Steve, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter slash Steve Simon. We'll leave it at that. That's it. And Steve, just yeah. just quickly, you know, the the ongoing thing has been your, your, your Drobo usage. Are, how's everything going with your Drobo? Are you still happy with it? Are you all base full and green? Well, I won't touch it because apparently that was offending people because I was touching it when I was talking about it. But it's it's working fine. It's it's uh, four green lights. I got the blue lights going down, and uh, I still need more transfer of information to happen. Uh, I've been away quite a bit, so ultimately I'll get to that. But uh, it's humming along. Uh, everything's good. And then I'll also mention that Steve, uh, like you mentioned earlier in the show. You have a great video for some, you know, somebody produced a really excellent video of you that is who um, was that who guy? would do that? Yeah, who, who would, would do that? Do that? <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's on my blog at frederickvan.com. You can also find me on the Twitters at uh, the same name, Frederick Van. And that's it. Looks like another twip is done. And let's put that lens cap. Well, let's take the lens cap off. We're so confused. We keep messing it up. Let's take put it, it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. Just leave it off. Let's, let's just do something with the lens cap. You know, just get rid of the lens cap. Can't we just have a protective filter on the camera? Just forget the lens cap completely? Yes. How about, Use your protective filter as your lens cap. How about let's turn that camera on.